Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Dewey Burke. That means it is a post-game show late on a Tuesday night. Carolina Outlast, Syracuse 81-75 in the Dean Dome. Dewey, a game of runs, and Carolina found a way yet again. It was exactly that, especially in the second half. You know, obviously started tied at 40. We went on a 9-0 run. They wanted a big run to go up five after hitting that three. We made a nice push back to take the lead and, and kind of held it there for the rest of that stretch. I thought we did a lot of good things. You know, when you're facing the zone, and particularly when Syracuse doesn't do their little shift when they trap on the wings, which can force turnovers, they never went to that tonight, really. Uh, it's easier to take care of the basketball, which has obviously been a huge problem for us. And so the turnovers were better. And so consequently, we got way more shots up on the rim, which meant more offensive rebounds, and we killed them on the glass. Um, saw some guys make some shots. RJ made a couple, which was great. Caleb still really struggled even after making his first one. Um, but there was a lot to draw from tonight, and it, Syracuse is never easy to play against. And Bayheim was obviously red hot in the first half. We figured him out in the second. So it was a good win. What did Carolina do differently on Bayham that you saw in the second half? Because that, I think he had 18 at half, didn't he? He didn't score in the second half, if I'm looking at the correct box. No, that's right. He didn't. And, and I thought Leakey did a really nice job. In the first half, we got caught on some switches. He was able to back down some smaller guards and turn around and just shoot eight, 10 footers and got loose in transition for some threes and, and then made a couple tough ones, too. Uh, whereas in the second half, Luke, Leakey was really tied to his hip and did a good job staying down on shot fakes, keeping him in front. And it's funny, I always remember this as a shooter uh, in my life. When you get your own jump shot blocked, for whatever reason, whenever that happened to me, especially when I was having a good night or a good practice, you know, in college, um, it threw off my rhythm. And I, I did not continue to shoot well after that. And Leaky blocked that shot along the baseline, bottom right on our TV screen during the game. And I remember thinking to myself at that point, that used to always throw me off for some reason. And I'm not saying that's what it was, but Beheim didn't make another shot and, and didn't get a lot of good looks. So there's something about that. And I may be totally by myself in that thinking, but that always bothered me when my jump shot got blocked. It threw me off and uh, he never found his rhythm again. Fascinating. He was seven for 12, four for seven for 18 in the second half. Took three shots, including the one you're talking about. So maybe you got something there. I mean, clearly not the same player. It does help when you've got a six, seven, six, eight guy chasing you around all second half and draped all over him. And that ultimately was the difference in the game because Syracuse, while Guerriere, I don't want to mispronounce names, had a good game for them. He was about it in the second half. And Carolina found a way. Let's talk a little bit about uh, R.J. Davis. I'll pick him first. He had some big free throws. He had a nice little eight, ten-point stretch there himself where he didn't get a lot of minutes. Um, and then he, when he did get in there, 
he played as well as he's played all year. I, I totally agree with that. And I actually thought even in the first half, he was really good. Just kind of little less noticeable things, the way the ball moved on offense. I thought he was really crisp. He had those two steals that were instrumental, one that led to the clear path foul or whatever they call it in college. And then uh, just the outright steal and the, and the breakaway layup. I just, his activity level was really good. And we'd have to go back and look, but I don't think Coach played RJ and Caleb together at all tonight. Um, so obviously from watching the tape, he felt like those two together – whether it's too turnover prone or, or not enough of a threat from the perimeter. He didn't play those guys together. And, uh, and I thought RJ was really good. He just was solid and crisp. Uh, I got to look back and see if he had uh, how many turnovers he had. I, I remember, I don't know, none. So that's Zero. great. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And again, it's easier to take care of the ball against the zone. Uh, but I thought he was really good tonight. He just, he was under control. He made good plays against the zone. Made a couple shots. The shot fake one dribble three was really nice. Made his free throws. He was really solid. It was it was definitely his best game since maybe the first or second. It was interesting to see who was out there at the end of the game. And he was that guy out there at the end. I want to ask you about Kerwin Walton. And I texted you this um, during the game. And it's something we talked about on the Inside Carolina podcast yesterday or um, the On the Beat podcast that folks got on Monday. And Gregory Hall talked about he didn't feel like Kerwin Walton was a catch, straight catch-and-shoot guy, at least not yet, and at least not all the time. He catches, he gathers, whether it's one dribble or getting his feet set, and he didn't fire it up. Explain to our listeners um, what that means, uh, um, and if you agree or disagree with Walton. Because I, I think, to be honest, I've tried to figure out who he reminds me of for Carolina and the way he shoots it, and it just so looks so smooth, it reminds me of Wayne Ellington, mm -hmm. uh, just the way it looks off his hands and goes in the basket. But talk to me about Kerwin's ability. It's a little more of a set shot than Wayne's was. Wayne, Wayne was a little more athletic in the way his release was. It was a true jump shot. Kerwin's got a little bit more of a set shot to his rhythm and the way he releases. And Wayne was more explosive, certainly, in his ability at the rim and, and things he could do. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, five-star, best shooting guard in his class. He's still in the NBA. It's a different type of kid. Um, but the the ease of which they shoot it is not dissimilar. Um, as I said, Kerwin's is a little more of a set shot. And and what I thought you were saying to me is, is the comment was he's, he's nothing more than just a catch-and-shoot guy. I guess the point was he's a catch-and-gather-and-shoot, that he doesn't release it that, that quickly. But you'd have to say that three that he hit late in front of our bench – I don't know how you release it any quicker than that. I mean, that was a catching rip, and I was impressed also earlier uh, with the twos that he made, particularly the one in the second half, bottom left of our TV screen, where he caught it in the corner, little shot flake, one dribble pull up. We hadn't seen that yet. We hadn't seen him off the bounce. And the reality is when, you, when you're shooting 48% from three, teams are going to run you off the line. So you've got to be able to show that capacity to shot fake, one dribble pull up, shot fake, two dribbles, and create – I also thought he did a really good job moving the ball against the zone. Make a, made a couple nice passes into the high post, a couple key bounce passes into the right place. And what that shows me is he has a good feel for the game. He knows how to play. And Coach has talked about how he's done a great job not forcing shots, always taking good shots. He probably could have pulled a couple more. And it's an interesting feeling when you're a shooter playing against the zone because it, it almost feels like every time that ball is on its way to you, you might have a chance to shoot it. And so having the discipline to only take the good ones 
and then find the ball to the high post, which he did a couple of times very nicely. I thought he had a solid game. He didn't shoot it well, one for five from three, but he's bound to cool off a little bit, uh, but made up for it with some twos and, and showed us a little more of a repertoire than maybe we thought he had. Yeah, and, that, and that's where I was going as you were wrapping that. To be able to do something other than just snipe from the outside, I think that helps his game. Certainly helps Carolina, and especially if Syracuse or any team is going to fly at him, he's got to show the ability to take those one or two dribbles and hit that nice pull up. It's just a beautiful shot. I mean, as he grows and gets better, um, he's going to be fun to watch for Carolina. I did not mention it at the beginning of the show. Rate us and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. If you like what you're hearing from Dewey Burt, you need to give us five stars uh, so you can hear it more often on your algorithms. And, of course, sponsor is Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Dewey, explain to me how you prepare for Syracuse on two days' notice. It was almost like an ACC tournament game where they're playing Clemson. Greg Barnes said they were going through their walkthrough for Clemson um, last weekend, and then they come out and say, oh, no, not playing Clemson. We'll see who you play, and then they find out they're going to play Syracuse in a couple of days. How difficult is it for guys these days to get ready for that zone? Yeah, it's funky. I mean, less difficult for us because we do it every year now, right? So whoever the coach is that has the Syracuse scout, my guess would be Hubert just based on his activity level on the bench. Um, but less difficult for us because we do it every year, sometimes twice, sometimes even three times. But I do think one of the reasons that Bayheim has had such success when he's gotten teams to the NCAA tournament is that they're so atypical to play against. And especially the second game, so meaning the game to get to the Sweet 16 or the game to get to the Final Four when you have one day to prepare for them is very difficult. And, and when they've had extreme length and athleticism, it is really hard to get off good shots against them. I would say they're average to below average talent-wise for where they have been historically at times. Um, and so it makes it easier. And our size is just so debilitating to the zone because the hardest part about a zone is for all the things that you take away, which is in theory post touches, you make teams beat you from the outside, shooting over an outstressed hand. It's just almost impossible to identify and know who you're supposed to box out. And so for a team like us that pounds the glass and has such an emphasis on it, we've had pretty good success with them because even when we miss, there's a really good chance that our bigs are going to collect that offensive rebound, put it back up or create another possession. So I feel like by and large, they've always struggled with us because of our emphasis on offensive rebounding. I don't know what coach's record is against Bayheim just at Carolina or even combining Kansas and Carolina, but I would venture to say it's pretty good because of the way we focus on the thing that they concede to give up in playing zone. Um, that said, you do have to make enough shots to keep them honest because if you don't make any and they pack it even further, it gets tough. And you even saw sometimes when the ball went into the post or on offensive rebounds, they collapsed down and blocked a ton of shots and made it hard for our guys at the rim. Um, but I just think our, our ability to go get those second chance points was ultimately the difference and the fact that we didn't turn it over 20 times. Yeah, they had nine block shots. You're right. And I felt like early in the game um, when Brooks or who whatever big was coming to the free throw line with the ACC logo that Cornette said repeatedly, they were able to sag and create problems there until somebody hit some shots from the outside. Let's talk about Brooks and Baycott. Uh, I mean – this is what people expected going into this year from Garrison Brooks. 16 and 10, Baycott 15 and 12. 
I mean, it's got to be comforting as a shooter to be able to sit on the outside and take shots knowing that there's probably a, at least a 50% chance one of your guys is going to get that rebound. And Brooks and Baycott both went to work. Baycott with seven offensive rebounds, Brooks with only two, but that's what Roy Williams needs from those bigs in this. Given the way the ACC is playing out and the way Carolina struggled guard-wise, Brooks and Baycott, that, that needs to be the case night in, night out. No, that's right. And, and this is the argument, again, among many, of, of why you cannot turn the ball over. Because, as we've said ad nauseum on this podcast this year and others, every possession that you turn the ball over was an opportunity lost to take a shot and, and potentially collect an offensive rebound. And we're so proficient at it. It's such a focus. We practice it. We, we emphasize it. We, we watch it on film. And then we're just huge. We're, we're a really big team. I mean, who were we talking about the last two games? Dayron, right? We, we couldn't believe how great Dayron was and he had his coming out party and played so well. Uh, and then he was a, two big buckets, but it was quieter tonight because our more experienced bigs uh, were more dominant in this game and were just, you know, unguardable from a box out perspective. Um, and we crushed him on the glass. Amanda was great. He was really active. We talked in the last podcast that I really like Garrison as a catch and shoot option, which is de facto what you're going to be against the zone if you're playing that high post catch, look to the basket, maybe shoot a 15 footer, which he made a couple of in that range or look opposite with a pass. Um, but they were both really active and, and, and really good. And it wasn't day run. I mean, I was I was surprised to not see him in the starting lineup just because coach is still feeling it out. Um, but sure looked like the right decision tonight. Absolutely, it did. Dayron, of course, he struggled at times, but three for six, two for four from the free throw line. I mean, he's still – he is he is going to be a monster at some point in his basketball career. He shows that every night. Uh, last player I want to talk about, and we mentioned him earlier, especially on defense, but Leaky Black struggled shooting, didn't hit a three, but I felt like he played one of his best games at Carolina, or at least this season. Yeah, seven assists. He, you know, he made his free throws, didn't score the ball well, but his job certainly in the second half was to contain Beheim, and that's what he did. And Beheim was red hot in the first half, a couple heat check shots that went in and gave us problems. And like I said, uh, I think that block was instrumental. That throws out the rhythm of any shooter, in my opinion. And he just, he just hugged his hip. He didn't lose sight of him, which has been a criticism of mine on this podcast that Leakey's made mistakes that a junior with the number of practices he has under his belt should not make. And he was really solid fundamentally, you know, just chasing him around screens, being there on the catch, having a high hand, not leaving his feet. And Beham is not quicker or more athletic than Leakey. So if Leakey was there on the catch, there's not a whole lot for Beheim to be able to do if he was disciplined, meaning Leakey, and he was. He just stayed sound and did a really nice job. And Beham had a donut. Carolina struggled at times went on some runs at times I, I don't want to close the show on a negative but I do want to ask your opinion as to how games of runs develop like that Michael Brooker texted me during the game it's a game of runs I mean it was like a nine-point run for Q's nine-point run for Carolina and back and forth how does that what is the cause of that from your perspective watching these games is it just um, in and out of focus for each team I mean what creates that because this game Surely a game of runs all night. It was, yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's our youth showing, right? It's it's we we have a good stretch. We go up by nine, and 
you know, even subconsciously they get comfortable or feel like we're in the groove and it's going to continue this way. And you have to learn what it is to take a game from tied to up nine to up 15 to up 25. You, you develop that. And it's not just a killer instinct. That is part of it. But it's also understanding that there is no let up, that there is no ceasing forcing the issue on what you were doing to make yourself successful. Because if you let off just a bit, it's the ACC and boom, all of a sudden you went from up nine to down five. And so they have to, you have to go through that in my view for the young guys uh, to understand that they're, you know, it's easy to say play for 40 minutes and every possession counts, blah, blah, blah. But you can hear those things. That's one thing, but you have to, you have to feel it. You have to say, wow, weren't we just up nine and now we're in the huddle and we're down five because we let up just a little bit. And I think you you need to go through those things as a young team, putting aside our experience guys, but go through that as a young team, as young ball handlers, to understand that you have to keep forcing the issue. And when you have a team wounded or a little bit down, if you don't step on their throat, all of a sudden they're coming right back at you because there's too much talent in the conference. Last question for you. I'll let you sort of take this wherever you want. Do you feel like this team's turning a corner maybe? Or has the schedule been beneficial for them thus far? Because Q's is kind of like perfect for this team. Like you said, they don't pressure the ball much. If you do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to turn it out, turn it over much. The schedule ramps up a little bit, but has this team sort of figured it out, especially since, you know, say two weeks ago? Yeah, look, we're shooting the ball better than two weeks ago in terms of some guys stepping up and making shots. I know our three-point percentage was not – not very good, 21%, but you, you're going to shoot some contested ones against the zone that are that are going to, like the, the one RJ shot late that Mondo rebounded and put up. I mean, he had to shoot that. That looks bad from a percentage perspective, but he had to throw it up. So, you know, look, I think it's small steps. Hopefully, guys are getting confidence. RJ should take a lot of confidence from the way he played tonight. And we just got to keep building on that. Kerwin's a confident guy. Dayron is very confident now. Garrison, even as a senior, has been struggling with his confidence. You can see it on his face. Tonight he had a better game, a game like he's capable. He should get confidence from that. So you get enough guys that are increasing their confidence. Um, I also thought on the defensive backboard we were really active tonight in terms of boxing out. We did a good job. Overall, defensively, we were pretty good. Um, we're young. We're going to keep making dumb mistakes, things that make you scratch your head. Um, so turn the corner, maybe not quite, um, but winning three in a row in this conference is never easy for any team. And I'm hopeful that guys are getting more confident slowly, but surely, because that's going to be the way we ultimately are a better team. And the way Garrison reacted on Baycott's and one there at the end yeah. could be a big moment for this team. Carolina goes to eight and four, 81, 75 over Syracuse, Florida state, maybe on Saturday. Could, who knows with COVID and all that, how the schedule will shake out. But Dewey Burke's always a pleasure, my man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.